What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Founders Journal. I'm Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. Today, I am sharing one of the greatest pieces of business writing living on the internet today. It's been hiding in plain sight since 1997, yet the fact every entrepreneur hasn't read it is, quite frankly, criminal. I'm talking about the very first Amazon shareholder letter written by Jeff Bezos the year that the company went public. It's a four-page, 1,600-word letter, but it punches way above its word count. On this episode, I'm going to summarize this letter for you and share a number of timeless business lessons that are as valuable today as they were in 1997. Let's hop into it. So I want to start by setting the stage. At the end of 1997, Amazon filed its first annual report as a public company after IPOing in May of that year, just three years after founding the business. Included in the annual report was the shareholder letter written by then-CEO Jeff Bezos, who would continue writing the now-famous annual letters until he stepped down from the company in late 2021. Now, 1997 was a banner year for Amazon. While the business was still just an online retailer of books, growth was absolutely explosive. Revenue was up 838% to $147 million in revenue from just $15 million a year earlier. The number of unique customers grew from 180,000 to 1.5 million, and the employee base 3x from 158 to 614. What's crazy is all of this growth would didn't even scratch the surface of what Amazon would achieve over the next 25 years. And what's even crazier, as you'll see in this letter, is it feels like Jeff Bezos knew exactly what was going to unfold for years to come. So let's go into the letter. Bezos starts with the 1997 highlight reel. He says, Amazon.com passed many milestones in 1997. By year end, we had served more than 1.5 million customers, yielding 838% revenue growth to $147.8 million, and extended our market leadership despite aggressive competitive entry. As I mentioned, this is insane growth. This is the definition of blitzscaling popularized by Reid Hoffman, and it is not at all what 99.9% of founders should expect or aspire to have from their business. He goes on to say, but this is day one for the internet. And that's a phrase that would become a hallmark of Amazon's customer-obsessed culture that would embrace the fast-moving startup culture that the business is known for, even with 1.6 million employees today. But Bezos was also quite literally correct about day one. In 1997, there were 120 million internet users. Today, that number is 43 times higher. 5.3 billion people have access to the internet in 2024. He says, Today, online commerce saves customers money and precious time. Tomorrow, though, personalization, online commerce will accelerate the very process of discovery. He then says, we have a window of opportunity as larger players marshal the resources to pursue the online opportunity and as customers new to purchasing online are receptive to forming new relationships. As is evident from what Bezos says here and what startup veterans like Paul Graham or Mark Andreessen preach, time and market are two of the most important considerations when launching a new company. A good business launched at the right time will always beat out a great business that is launched at the wrong time. 
Bezos argues the timing was perfect because online commerce is becoming a new behavior for more and more people, which means they don't have deep-seated trust with legacy brands like Barnes & Noble, Walmart, and others. He also says they have a window of opportunity as large players marshal the resources to pursue the online opportunity. And I wonder why he calls that a window of opportunity. Is it because he assumes that larger companies by definition will take a long time to mobilize their resources, even if they have more of them than Amazon? I'm assuming that is what he's saying. My guess is he's implicitly saying that one of the core advantages of a startup like Amazon is you can simply seize an opportunity faster because it's you navigating a speedboat rather than a cruise ship. Next, he goes into the long-term orientation of Amazon and its goals, showing just how clear of a vision he had for the business, even when they were just selling books. He says, we believe that a fundamental measure of our success will be the shareholder value we create over the long term. The stronger our market leadership, the more powerful our economic model. And to break that down further, I think there are two main reasons that market leadership is necessitated for Amazon to have a great business as Bezos alluded to above. First, Amazon is a business defined by network effects. The more users on the platform means the more sellers of the products that want to join the platform, which means more products being offered will ultimately attract more users and the virtuous cycle continues. Second, Amazon, especially in the early years, was such a high fixed cost business between software costs, product costs, and fulfillment costs, which meant the more customers the company had, the more people that cost could be spread across. It's similar to the idea of Netflix needing as many users as possible to spread the cost of their huge content expenses across as much as possible. So next, Bezos goes on to talk about focus. Focus on long-term shareholder value, focus on market leadership, focus on saving time and money for customers. He repeats the word focus eight times in this four-page letter, and he repeats the phrase long-term eight times as well. It is absolutely intentional, and it's one of the most important jobs of a founder in the early days of your business. Whether it's messaging to your employees, to your investors, or to your customers, repetition to the point of exhaustion is the only way you can be confident that people will know what is truly important. Because as a founder, all of your mental real estate is taken up by your business and what's important. But that is not the case for everyone else. So you need to download your brain into theirs proportionally for what matters most. Next, he talks about the metrics that matter most. He says, we first measure ourselves in terms of the metrics most indicative of our market leadership, customer and revenue growth, the degree to which our customers continue to purchase from us on a repeat basis, and the strength of our brand. Given Amazon was focused on being the biggest player in online commerce, to me, it makes total sense why revenue growth, customer retention, and brand were prioritized. And I think it's also interesting to think about all of this in the context of your business. It all starts with your long-term goals and where you are in the life cycle of your company. Is your goal to build a business that IPOs and is around for the next 50 years? Is your goal to build a lifestyle business that pays for your family's lives? Is your goal to build a business without venture funding? My general view is that in the early days of your business, pre-product market fit, the goal is getting to product market fit as quickly as you can, which means you should be optimizing for one metric, your product market fit score, which I discussed on a recent episode with Rahul Vora from Superhuman, and I'll link to in the show notes. 
That said, you may not have the luxury of just optimizing for this one metric if your financing situation requires you to focus on either profitability or hitting certain metrics to raise from investors and extend your runway, which means something like user growth, revenue growth, or profitability is likely the second metric in the early days that you'll have to optimize for. Then, once you hit product market fit, the calculus changes. If your long-term goal is about market leadership, absent the need for immediate profitability, it likely becomes about user growth, revenue growth, and user retention. If your long-term goal is about building a profitable, bootstrapped business that grows steadily, it likely becomes about net income and customer retention. After discussing metrics that matter, Bezos then shares what I consider to be his disclaimer to investors. It's an acknowledgement that many companies manage their business to quarterly goals and expectations, but Amazon is not such a business. So if you have that expectation, Amazon is probably not the investment for you, and that's what Bezos is trying to get across to folks. He says, because of our emphasis on the long-term, we may make decisions and weigh trade-offs differently than some companies. Accordingly, we want to share with you our fundamental management and decision-making approach so that you, our shareholders, may confirm that it is consistent with your investment philosophy. He goes through Amazon's approach bullet by bullet, which I'll share in a second, but I first want to point out an invaluable lesson. The way Bezos communicates to his investors is exactly how I think all founders should think about their approach to fundraising. More important than raising capital or the valuation you can raise at are the expectations of the investors you're raising from and how aligned they are with your expectations. Bad things happen when there's expectation misalignment between founders and investors, and unfortunately, that's often the case if investors are investing in an industry or type of business that was never meant to grow at the speed that venture investors need to hit their return profile. Now, I want to call out a few of the most important bullets that Bezos laid out as he was resetting expectations for investors. He says, we will continue to measure our programs and the effectiveness of our investments analytically to jettison those that do not provide acceptable returns and to step up our investment in those that work best. We will continue to learn from both our successes and our failures. And something I just want to point out here is if you want a high growth entrepreneurial culture, you need to treat your business like a science experiment where your employees are like lab workers creating hypotheses and running constant tests, making decisions based on data and results versus having an emotional connection to the idea that's actually being tested. And this is exactly what Amazon was known for in 1997 and what Amazon is known for to this day. Next up, he says, we will make bold rather than timid investment decisions where we see a sufficient probability of gaining market leadership advantages. Some of these investments will pay off, others will not, and we will have learned another valuable lesson in either case. Said simply, Bezos advocates for people to disagree and commit and welcome mistakes as long as there are lessons. But something to also call out here is you can't just articulate these values via one shareholder letter. It has to be repeated over and over in many shareholder letters, but more importantly, it has to be reiterated by demonstrating the desired behavior that you want from your employees. How Bezos and his leadership team reacted to failed products or disagreeing with each other's ideas but committing to them is actually how the culture was formed at Amazon in the early days. 
And there are two final bullets that are what I would call quintessential Amazon. Quote, we will share our strategic thought processes with you when we make bold choices to the extent competitive pressures allow so that you may evaluate for yourselves whether we are making rational long-term leadership investments. He then says, we will work hard to spend wisely and maintain our lean culture. We understand the importance of continually reinforcing a cost-conscious culture, particularly in a business incurring net losses. So just to tie these together, if Amazon's culture is known for two things, it is their frugal, scrappy approach to building the business, which was first made famous by Bezos' first desk being made out of a wooden door. Basically, this idea that they shouldn't spend on anything that is not essential to serving customers. And the second idea is their approach to internal communication. On top of the detailed shareholder letters that have been written since 1997 and are still written today, this approach that is public for investors is exactly how the entire organization operates internally among employees as well. It is widely known at this point, but Amazon's culture around meetings and decision-making is entrenched in this six-page memo culture that has to be written ahead of any meeting and reviewed by employees before a meeting discussion can actually start. And I think a written culture of communication is one of the best ways to solidify clear thinking across the organization. Next part of the letter is focused on Amazon's customers. It starts with, from the beginning, our focus has been on offering our customers compelling value. We realize that the web was, and still is, the worldwide wait. Therefore, we set out to offer customers something they simply could not get any other way and began serving them with books. Plain and simple, Bezos picked a category of product that could still be a wildly better experience even with the internet being painfully slow for early adopters at the time. And he goes on to talk about how they offer greater selection with 200,000 books versus, let's call it, roughly 10,000 in a physical bookstore. He talks about greater flexibility with a 24-7, 365-day store versus a physical retail store that opens and closes every day. And he talks about greater user experience with one-click shopping, recommendations, and reviews, things that you simply couldn't access in a physical environment. Bezos goes on to say, we dramatically lowered prices, further increased customer value. Word of mouth remains the most powerful customer acquisition tool we have, and we are grateful for the trust our customers have placed in us. Repeat purchases and word of mouth have combined to make Amazon.com the market leader in online book selling. Now, from my perspective, the only way to build a high-growth, sustainable business is for word of mouth to be your greatest engine for new customers. It's also one of the ways to evaluate if you're getting closer to product market fit. Said differently, how many of your customers are willing to recommend your product to a colleague that they think would benefit from the product? Now, Bezos finishes up the letter with a 1997 review and then a 1998 look forward. I already mentioned the insane business performance in 1997, but I just want to make a note of something that seems very subtle, but I actually think is actually really important to acknowledge. Before listing off the crazy sales growth, customer growth, partnerships, and web traffic, Bezos writes a very simple line. He says, by many measures, Amazon.com came a long way in 1997. That is it. It seems innocent, but it had me intrigued. Bezos is so matter-of-fact when talking about his business, and he lets the facts and the numbers speak for themselves. And the bigger point here, I believe, is that something you'll realize about founders and entrepreneurs is that they are exceptional storytellers and salespeople. It is a vital skill, especially if you're serving that role at your company. 
but it's also very easy to misguide yourself and others on the outside by focusing on the stories that you tell versus the facts within your business. A really good force function for founders or investors or potential employees of startups is to be really good at separating what is story from what is fact. It is important to know both, but fact is what makes a business strong or weak today. Story is a possibility of what a business could be in the future. Amazon at this point in time was a rocket ship as a function of the facts, not the story that Jeff Bezos was telling. And then a little bit further in the letter, he gives a nod to employees. He says, setting the bar high in our approach to hiring has been and will continue to be the single most important element of Amazon.com success. It is not easy to work here. When I interview people, I tell them you can work long, hard, or smart, but at Amazon.com, you can't choose two out of the three. But we are working to build something important, something that matters to our customers, something that we can tell all our grandchildren about. Bezos' approach to talent is reminiscent of other intense, great entrepreneurs. They set an exceptionally high bar and create a clear opt-out hiring process. And I've been thinking a lot about this, and I have a theory that one of the things that makes great entrepreneurs and founders so great is that their definition of a high bar for talent looks wildly different than other founders. I think other founders find ways to convince themselves into saying someone is talented, but in reality, they're just hiring a B-plus player. But I think the best, like Bezos or Musk, are absolutely ruthless about keeping their talent bar insanely high. On top of that, Bezos is crystal clear about what employees should expect if they work at Amazon. A huge failure of entrepreneurs in general, especially in the early days of their business, is to set unrealistic expectations of what the work or the culture is like because they are afraid of scaring away employees. Bezos takes the complete opposite approach. He wants to scare people away because what's left over are the right employees for what they're building. He wants people to know it's going to be a shit ton of work and it's going to be a no frills work environment and that you're going to have to bet an uncomfortable amount of your compensation on the future of the business. But by doing this, he probably saves a ton of time not hiring and then subsequently having to fire the wrong people. One other point I want to make here is there's just a huge benefit of having a super high growth, high ambition business, a business where the founder can basically say, we're building something incredibly important, something that matters to customers and something that we will be able to tell our grandchildren about. Having an ambitious mission and having crazy momentum and growth is one of the best marketing tools for recruiting great talent. And so bootstrap founders like myself love to shit on venture-backed businesses, but this is one of the great assets of venture-backed businesses is if you have a wildly ambitious mission and you're growing really quickly, there is no better recruiting tool. Okay, getting towards the end. After the 1997 look back, Bezos briefly talks about the year ahead where he mentions adding music, which is kind of hilarious. He reiterates the importance of focus and prioritization as well as a market opportunity that will have an abundance of expansion outside of books. This is just a reminder that there's good reason to believe that market is more important than people or even product when thinking about the potential for success of a business. And then Bezos finishes by talking about vigilance. He says, though we are optimistic, we must remain vigilant and maintain a sense of urgency. The challenges and hurdles we will face to make our long-term vision for Amazon.com a reality are several. Aggressive, capable, well-funded competition, considerable growth challenges and execution risk, the risks of product 
and geographic expansion, and the need for large continuing investments to meet an expanding market opportunity. I'll say this is such a common trait of great entrepreneurs. Almost all of them have this paranoid side, the side that makes them look over their shoulder as they're building their business, the side that makes them identify these small cracks before they turn into huge craters that actually can be business ending. So that's the 1997 letter, and I just want to conclude with two lessons abstracted from this yearly practice of writing a memo to shareholders. First, writing plain and simply with intention put into every single word is an absolute superpower. It is the best force function for clear thinking, and I recommend it to any entrepreneur. And second, the act of communicating your performance, your goals, and your game plan, even if you don't have investors or people you're accountable to, is one of the best habits founders can have. It forces you to work on your business, not just in your business, reflecting on the choices you've made in the past and how you're going to achieve your goals moving forward. I hope you've enjoyed this teardown and analysis of the first ever Amazon shareholder letter. I would love to know if you'd like more episodes like this where I take famous business writing, summarize it, and share the most important lessons for entrepreneurs. Shoot me an email to alex at morningbrew.com and let me know what you think. And as always, thank you for listening to Founders Journal. I'll catch you next episode. your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.